right. My first thought was, how on earth do I preach about this? And then I realized that Jesus gave us the clue because he referred to the story himself. Uh, perhaps the first picture of the, the snake on a pole. That may be what it looked like. Who knows? I don't know if it would be a crossbar like the cross that Jesus was on, but it was certainly a pole. Some people reckoned it was Moses' rod, but I don't think that would be long enough for the people to see it. So, what's the story? Well, snakes are both feared and respected. You know these stories you hear about people who find snakes in their bedroom or snakes slithering out of the toilet. It must be absolutely terrifying, especially if you live in a country where they're actually dangerous and poisonous. Um, so I think people had a huge respect for snakes because they'd seen their friends die when they were bitten by them. And maybe that's why in the Bible and throughout the whole of history, snakes had a huge symbolism. Look at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. It was the snake who tempted Eve to eat of the fruit that God had said not to. She said, he said, has God said? Nah, not really. Come on, go and do it. And in Egypt, you'll have seen pictures of Pharaoh or maybe films of ancient Egypt where there's a, a golden cobra appears on many images because they revered the snake as being divine in some way. In fact, in Egypt, they described the snake as being the demon of chaos, the demon of death, so they had to make offerings to the snake. And then in ancient Rome, you had much the same thing, but also it became a symbol of healing because there was a god, it was called Asclepius, I had to read it because I often get it wrong, who was supposed to be a god of healing. And if you went to his temple, you saw the snake and you hoped you'd be healed. And then I've got another picture of the present day where uh, the World Health Organization and even the BMA have got a snake on a pole as a symbol of healing. So there's a big background to this. That was some of the symbolism of the snake. And I am told that this story that Moses recounted in Numbers was one of the earliest accounts of a story about a snake. So there we are. What's the background to this? You always need to know where Bible stories came from and what they're about. It didn't just appear. These people of Israel had been wandering in a wilderness for 39 and a half years. Can you imagine that? With nowhere to settle, living in tents, in barren wastes, struggling to get water and food, and yet God had looked after them. When they had their exodus out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, they could have been in the Promised Land in no more than a few days. But they took cold feet. And they sent 12 spies in to see what Canaan was like. And 10 of them came back and said, oh, you don't want to go there. 
There are giants in this land, and uh, I'm not going there. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, we can do it because we have God on our side and he has promised us this land. But they said, no, no. So they turned away and God made them wander for 40 years in this wilderness. He did provide for them. He gave them manna to eat, which was a bit like bread, like frost that came down overnight. And they collected it through the day and that was their bread. And he gave them meat in the form of quails that came and settled by the camp every night. So they had meat and they had bread and God provided them with water as well. And the Bible says that their clothes didn't even wear out and their sandals didn't wear out and their health remained generally good because God cared for them. But they'd forgotten all that and they were saying, we're bored by this food. We're fed up wandering. We want to go back to Egypt. And that was what got God upset. And they were rejecting God and Moses. But God said, right, I need to teach these people how much they need me. And I believe what happened probably was that God removed the protection he had given them and all the snakes that were already there in the wilderness came out from under the stones in a plague and bit so many people that many died and they cried to Moses, help us, help us, help us. You ever been in that situation where you felt the only prayer you had was help? I remember reading a book by a man called John Wimber, a very famous American evangelist, who said his most eloquent prayer was help. Maybe you're there. And maybe the only thing you can pray is help. God, help me. I'm in a desperate situation. They were in a desperate situation because of their sin. And it may not always be because of your sin that you're in a desperate situation, but God still cares. And the story unfolds that even though they grumbled and God sent his judgment on them, he showed them mercy. Now, our God is a God of grace. But we need to balance that by the fact that our God is also righteous. And he's a God who judges sin. And he provided a way of salvation for them through faith. That ring any bells? And when they looked to the serpent that Moses put up in a pole, they would be healed. Now, actually, if you look at that story and stand back and forget that God is in it, you'd say, that's bonkers. How can looking at a, a bronze serpent heal anybody who's dying of a snake bite? But God took that step of faith and turned it into salvation for them. So that's the story. What's its relevance to us today? Well, Jesus gives us a clue to that. I'm going to read this again in John 3. He was speaking to Nicodemus, who was a bit of a skeptic, and he wasn't really at all sure what Jesus was about. So Jesus explains... And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, 
so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I forgot to ask to put up a picture that somebody's painted of the people looking to this snake, just to give you an idea. No, not that one, the one before it. And they were all desperate. But when they looked to the serpent on a pole that God had said would heal them, they were healed. Thank you. And Jesus said, in the same way as that snake was lifted on a pole, so the Son of Man, that's me, he said, will be lifted up and draw all men to me. So, what happened on the cross? I think you can give us a picture of the cross now. Now, you're noticing that that's a silhouette with a lovely sunset behind it. If you didn't know the story, it would almost be like a lovely picture you would hang in your wall for its beauty. Let's not sanitize the cross of Jesus the way that picture is done. The next picture is probably a bit more realistic without being so graphic that it's shocking. But in its way, it's shocking because Jesus had nails through his hands and feet and he had a crown of big, thick thorns on his head. Those of you who've been to Israel may have seen what kind of thorns they were and that was no joke. And Jesus hung on that cross why on earth did God choose to send his son to be lifted up on a cross? It is a mystery. And actually, in the New Testament, Paul acknowledges that it's a mystery. And it's such a shocking thing. And it was a shocking thing in the Roman world that anybody who was not a criminal could be treated like this because it was such a horrible way to die that the Romans used all the time for rebels and criminals. So why was Jesus, the sinless son of God, hung on a cross? Maybe lots of human reasons, I suppose. People hated him, and the Romans were scared of him, so they made an example of him. But the Bible makes it clear that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking on the power of Satan himself, who in the Garden of Eden was represented as a snake. You see the symbolism? You see the connection? So let's not sanitize this cross that Jesus died on. It was a real painful event that he went through to overcome the power of the devil. There are lots of ways you can look at the cross, but one of them that I can connect with quite easily is the one that theologians have has called Christus Victor. Jesus Christ was the victor over the power of the enemy. And I'm going to read you a couple of passages that just confirm that. In 1 John chapter 3, John the Apostle, who stood watching Jesus on that cross from a distance, he said he came to destroy the works of the evil one. 
And that he did. And in Hebrews, the very beginning of Hebrews, we read that that was a once and for all thing. He said, Long ago God spoke in many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. This next bit's important. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So the work of Jesus on the cross was a much more final event than the snake in a pole for Moses. But that was just a symbol of what Jesus would do when he came. You say, that's all very well. But how am I supposed to respond to that? Let's pick up the next picture. That's how we should respond. I wonder, have you ever done that? You know all about the cross, I know you do. But have you ever knelt in your mind's eye at the foot of that cross and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember, there was a story Jesus told of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Uh, what the world would see is a good man and a bad man who went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee said, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other men, like this poor man here. Look at how much I do for you, how much I give you. God did not heal that prayer. But the prayer he heard was the desperate cry of a sinner who was reviled in society and hated by everybody, the tax collector. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe it's time for you. Maybe you've done it before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's time for you to kneel before that cross today and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Katie read John 3.16, which probably most of us know by heart. God so loved the world of people like you and me that he gave his only son. Why? So that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And my last slide is a kind of stylized version of the fact that the cross is empty. And Jesus rose from the dead. If you needed any proof that he destroyed the works of the evil one, that's it. He rose again. And what he offers to us today and has given to us as a free gift because of, just because of faith, is eternal life. And we can live in that every day. That's not just for heaven, that's for now. This morning, before I came out, I, I prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me with your life today 
so that what comes out of me will bless the people around me. That is kind of what eternal life means. It means the Spirit of God living in you and living out the life of God in you. That can't be bad. And that's what the story of the snake on a pole is about. Let's just finish with a reading from Isaiah 30, from Jeremiah 31. Have this in your ears as you go. Because this was written 600 years before Jesus was born. Just think of that one. He says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them and I will write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's you and I, folks. And as we go, I just want to speak a blessing over all of us as we leave that we'll take the word of God with us. Father God, we thank you for your word and for the rich imagery in it that helps to explain what Jesus did for us on the cross. And as we go, we pray that as you have promised, you will live within our hearts by your Holy Spirit and that the blessing of Father, Son and Holy Spirit will go with all of us as we spill out into the world today. Amen.